Welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast, where each week we take a look at the news that's caught our eye in and around the hotel investment space. Um, and you will get the comments on those items from me, Chris Bound, the editor at Hotel Analyst, and Andrew Sankster, the editorial director at Hotel Analyst. This week, we, uh, we've been catching up, having a look at the latest numbers from Whitbread, purveyors of many premier inns around the UK and increasingly in Germany. Uh, and uh, things look a little uh, less, well, less rosy than they have been in, in previous quarters. Uh, and the big news from Whitbread was that they are actually now thinking about right-sizing their UK portfolio. Uh, whereas previously and for many years it's always seemed to be about getting bigger and taking over ever more of the UK uh, population and gra and grabbing ever more sites. Um, it's now they're actually talking about the fact that they're actually going to dispose of some of their older and smaller properties uh, because now it's all about hunkering down trying to cut costs and improve efficiency. So big is beautiful because big is very efficient because it doesn't take much more people to run a 100-room hotel than it does to run a 50-room hotel. Um, Andrew, is that, that's quite quite big news for, from, from Whitbridge, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's good that it is churning its uh, portfolio. I mean, it has um, in the past, but this is slightly more. I wouldn't, I mean, it's only getting rid of about eight hotels, I think, this year. So I, I wouldn't over-egg the, the, it's exiting, the, you know, the whole whole swathe of tail-end properties. I, I think it's 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 relatively small um, in connection with the overall size of what is, after all, the biggest hotel group in the UK. Um, I am increasingly optimistic, and it's, it's very much a contrarian view to where certainly sh the, the stock market is viewing Whitbread at the moment, and um, many brokers are getting quite negative on, on Whitbread. Um, but I, I'm increasingly positive. What I think I, I like about Whitbread is it's, it's asset heavy in a time when I think there's asset heavy is going to come back into fashion. Now I'm not for one moment suggesting that the global major hotel companies, and for the record this is Marriott, Hilton, IHG and Accor plus you could probably put into that box Wyndham and Choice certainly the western global hotel majors. Now they're going to stick with their asset light approach. Now Xinjiang um, the Chinese chain which is actually number two on that list um, they own a thousand of their 11,000 plus properties so they're still pretty asset heavy um, as is Hyatt which is sort of on the borders of being a global major. Now I don't think for the western global majors we're going to see a switcheroo in, in terms of their, their asset light um, uh, approach although they are using their balance sheet more and more I'm hearing you know in terms of sustaining their net unit growth that favorite nug we like to talk about a lot on hotel analyst um, to maintain that they're having to dive into that balance sheet more and more um, and I think that's a trend we're going to see a lot of but they will recycle that capital and they're very focused on building a fee income business but Whitbread has this heavy asset backing um, I think that's going to come out to its advantage in the, in the long run and it's interesting that it's been hounded by um, a hedge fund and they've now backed off um, they, they, they've essentially sold out of their shareholding in Whitbread and I, I just I, I think the heat from that particular quarter has, has gone for Whitbread and they've got a challenging period ahead in the UK but I think a key thing to remember and you know we've, we've been saying in Hotel Alanis for quite a while actually you know it's going to get tougher and tougher for 
uh, for Whitbread because what's happening is all the best sites for Premier Inns have already gone and as you start opening new ones you're going to start cannibalizing existing ones and we've clearly seeing that in these numbers that have just come out and that's clearly a problem for it but the new ones are still profitable um, and it still makes sense to keep growing and they will keep growing it um, and probably the breakneck growth we've seen is in the past but they will keep steadily increasing their UK market share which is going to make them a more and more powerful company and give them some real uh, pricing power which is something so many hoteliers really fail to have in the market and what's making me quite positive about them is that Germany is slowly slowly beginning to look like a sensible move so they've got in their commit either open or in the committed pipeline eight and a half thousand rooms which yeah, is half decent you know, scale isn't it now it is it is absolutely and over absolutely. the next year they're going to but I think the thing the thing caught me if you look at their their press release on when they talk about that there's there's still a hundred percent direct booking in Germany so you know that's pretty darn amazing actually they're growing a new portfolio without reaching out to any other distribution channels they're doing it all themselves and if they can continue that they're going to have a pretty strong position in the german market too so um i've turned i wouldn't say bull is probably too much of an exaggeration but certainly in terms of the long-term perspective i'm very positive with with bread and i had a quick flick at their um shareholder register actually that's the on, on the ft page under the company section and the biggest shareholder on that is a an outfit called Longview capital partners and i think if you take the long view <laughs> whitbread look very encouraging see what we did there very good okay yeah. <laughs> now then the next topic we're going to look at is uh, micro living and the reason this really got our attention in the last uh, week or two was because of a deal done in germany where a developer who's putting together quite a large portfolio of uh, micro living apartments which is renting out to the millennials um, is uh, they've just bought a hotel a park inn in uh, munich which they're going to be converting from um, hotel to micro living apartments so um, uh, a new use for a, for a perhaps a tired hotel but also an interesting suggestion that ho hotels might be worth more as micro living apartments um, andrew the, is this is this going to be a big rash or do you think these are just going to be one-offs um, I think it's certainly, I mean, it's still tiny, tiny in scale, but I think it is certainly going to be very, very fast growing. Um, how big it can get, well, it's anybody's guess. But what I think is really interesting is the overlap with the overall uh, um, short let accommodation market. Um, and it's just on a continuum. So these are sort of super long lets, really, micro living. And you go all the way through to obviously hotels, which are, the, well, I guess something like Yotel, where you're getting like 200% occupancy because um, you're, you're renting it several times in 24 hours. I guess it's the ultimate short let. Um, so you, you're going along, they're on that continuum now. And um, I think you referenced in your, in your uh, piece, Chris, about the work the British property federation did with jll to draw up some definitions here and you've, yeah. you've got um um you've got this compact living as it's called which seems to me it's they're all self-contained it seems to me just a way to dodge building regs um <laughs> and trying to trying to hoodwink the planners to sort of we can build flats much smaller than the specs that you normally require um co-living i think is 
you know it's different to that because actually what you're seeing is shared amenities and it's very hotel like actually mm. i think in terms of having this personal um and um and then shared amenity space um of course, the big difference is that usually this this shared space is not open to non-residents. It's it's just for the residents. But I, I did look at this that that report, which was about oh, it's, it's eighteen months plus old now um, that they put out. But I looked, I was looking at the size of the rooms, and it was quite interesting. So if if you're with um, if you're in this co-living thing, they they suggested the typical size was twelve square meters to twenty square meters, and guess what the um, uh, gross internal area of the average um, Premier Inn room is? 21.3 square metres. <laughs> so, you know, so if you're staying in one of these micro living places, you're going to check into a Premier Inn to, you know, to <laughs> let, let, let yourself breathe a bit, I think. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's quite interesting. But, but, and then the other bit, so you've got, um, you've got compact living, um, you've got the micro living, and then the other end you've got the um, shared living, which is what in the UK we called houses of multiple occupation, which is basically the old student hovels where you're you're a bunch of rooms with your with with a dodgy lock on it, um, and then you share the kitchen and bathroom. Um, the, these the regulation on that you have to have a six point five square meter or bigger room mm. um that's not an institutional play it's typically just subdivided houses or apartments um not purpose-built like micro living micro living is institutional um and uh, you know i think it's a very interesting sector and it's very interesting for hospitality professionals um, because the overlap there is quite clear and i think as the niche evolves and develops a lot of the stuff um that we're doing in the hotel sector they're going to want to be doing building brands yield management um efficient management efficiently running um the the operations all of that stuff is you know where do you go where do you find that you go to a hospitality company there's massive overlap there i think i mean will we see hospitality companies getting into it i don't know i, I could see it happening there's no I, I haven't heard any whispers that they're doing it yet but uh, i don't see why not because the the skill sets are very very comparable yeah sure i know what really struck me when having a look at this sector was how the uh, different uh, countries around the world and and across europe all have uh, different attitudes towards building smaller homes or smaller apartments um, and uh, the, the Germans seem really not that terribly bothered about it and nor do the uh, the Dutch and the French whereas um, I know in, in Britain we get t terribly hung up on this this idea of uh, having a, of a tiny home being bad for you and you've got to have plenty of space uh, to live in and uh, the uh, you know the, the government had this dispensation scheme where they were allowing conversions without uh, obtaining planning permission which re which provided quite a few um, opportunities for developers to build these smaller spaces without going through the planning process um, and I know that did rather upset one or two of the uh, councils particularly in London where they were claiming rabbit hutches were being built yep uh, I, mean, I, I, I see the point but I mean I think a lot of this is just the ridiculous difficulty people have in trying to do build in 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 the the uk is the the planning regime is so anti-development it's it's a real problem well um, and also if you fundamentally got land prices going up ahead of of inflation and ahead of wages uh, then yeah. you know living living costs yeah. just get more expensive so what's the, yeah. the option to go smaller is is a, is a logical one 
it is it is and it and it, and it does make sense and you know and I, you don't see that regime changing anytime soon even with the conservatives talking about building three hundred thousand plus new homes a year um it's still the such a huge pent-up level of demand and even if immigration's dropping there is still such a huge level of pent-up demand that i think it's going to take many many years for it to actually come out and we're going to see those um i would argue artificially inflated land prices um maintained so i don't think we're heading for a property crash any any time soon but yeah. uh i think we're about to talk about that oh we? yes we are so let's have a little look at that because we've um, been having a look at some figures that Christie and co have put out uh, their sort of annual roundup and their outlook for the coming year um, which looks like well the, the interesting thing that they also did a kind of an opinion poll a sentiment poll across different European markets um, and uh, the the views are quite different as you kind of head from uh, from west to east so um, the Germans seem a little more pessimistic about what's going to be happening in their market the French less so and the Spaniards still quite uh, optimistic it would seem uh, believing more than half of them believing that the market's yet to reach its peak there um, Andrew does this reflect what you what you think you, you're seeing in the market yeah I think so I mean I I can understand. I mean, there is undoubtedly a supply issue in a lot of um, um, German urban centres. Um, most of the big ones have a huge supply overhang coming, and there's going to be a bit of an issue with that. Um, and Germany also suffers because they don't have such a developed um, leisure market um, as unbelievably the uk does um people aren't obviously coming for the weather to the uk but coming for the cultural aspects um but you know certainly places like london and even manchester has a you know a, a, a good leisure market which is not the case um and if you look at the you know in in many german cities and if you look at you know, the berlin for example the the room rate you can get on some of the five stars there out of you know out of season which is usually actually the summer holidays um you know you, it's the best value you can have at any major european capital i think it's a great place to visit actually mm. i mean germany is one of my top tips if you want a nicely priced vacation germany is the place to go um but in terms of from an investment perspective i think that brings it a, a, a heap of challenges i think in terms of the return but looking looking at the uk specifically um one of my favorite bits um in the christie report is where they talk about the the movement in average prices so as as the biggest broker of hotels in the uk they've got a, a huge database of what you know what's transacted and they every year they work out you know what what's a shift been in average price um in nine in 2019 it was just half a percent that he went up um it was four percent rise in 2018 and a five and eight percent rise in 2017 it certainly looked very negative um in terms of the potential but i i don't think it is going to turn negative i think i think we've, we're seeing an uptick in the economy um the so-called boris bounce now whether that actually fades as we get nearer the deadline for the proper um, exit from the EU at the end of this year, you know, who, who knows? Um, I don't want to get into that particular <laughs> hornet's nest, but uh, um, I'm pretty positive. And then the reason I'm, I'm you know, back in 2007, um, well, at the beginning of 2008, when this, this the similar report came out from Christie, we wrote a headline in Hotel Analyst that said the only way is down, um, and that was off despite a bumper 2007 set of numbers and there 
my argument back then was that hotel yields had fallen below bond yields. And I said, this always heralds a correction. Now, we had the mother of all corrections, of course, at the end of 2008. But Okay, Andrew, um, so where are bond yields now? <laughs> <laughs> well, quite. So, yeah, so they are all mightily low right now. Um, and property yields are, are not, too, you know, are at all-time lows, but the gap is pretty reasonable. So um, it looks pretty good from, you know, from a property investment perspective. While that gap is so big, so unless you're a believer in interest rate shift and suddenly bond yields are going to start moving up, which I, very very few people are in that camp. Um, I, I think we were set for a fair, you know, good period. And if you believe also my thesis that the underlying economy is 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 going to have steady growth from here on in um i, I think it's uh, we're in a pretty good pretty good position so i mean the christie's team are quite optimistic um about you know what's ahead in 2020 and i think they're right to be quite optimistic but one other thing to say chris actually so um chris day who's um headed christie's um and been part of christie's ever since i've been a journalist um he's retiring this summer um and um and, and it's it, it's it's one of those sort of landmark events i think uh for me personally but also for the industry and it's um we wish him well in his retirement okay well and he predicted that we're going to have uh going to live happily ever after in terms of uh, the the hotel market in the uk so <laughs> well yeah well it's never going to be happy ever after is it but i, I think it's good you know we're, we're going to have the it's still going to be plenty interesting enough for us to keep going on this <laughs> good after, so. as long as we've got plenty to talk about that'll be good for us okay and with that goodbye for now <laughs>